All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. All right, the election in Virginia is coming right up and the election is going to be for the governor, the attorney general, lieutenant governor, and the entire House of Delegates. Now, it has been a tough decade for conservatives in Virginia, but the latest poll coming out from Signal shows that Yunkin and McAuliffe are tied 48-48, but there's another dynamic of this poll that we're going to be talking about today that is very interesting and I think very very telling. We're going to be talking about all of that and more on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Okay, within this signal poll, like I said, 48-48 between McAuliffe and Yunkin. That is, that's unusual. If you go back and you look at the last couple of gubernatorial elections, you look at the last uh, few statewide elections within Virginia, it has not been even close to being that close. It hasn't been since Bob McDonald got elected governor uh, all the way back in, gosh, like 2009 it was, um, or 2008, um, that, that we saw anything resembling that. So obviously we're seeing some sort of, of major shift that's going on within Virginia. And the question is, is where is that shift taking place? Well, if you actually dig into that signal poll, here's what you find. You find that with parents of school-age children, right, so K through 12, parents of school-age children, they are breaking for Yunkin by almost 60%. That, that's, that's not just conservative, that's independent. They are breaking for Yunkin by almost 60%. If you have a kid in the public school system, you are probably voting for Glenn Yunkin or for the Republicans. And this is really interesting and, and begs this question, why is that? Because typically speaking, the Democrats have always played this kind of mantra that they're the heroes of education, right? They're the ones that want more teacher pay and they want better programs and they want more funding for public schools. And then Republicans are always caricatured as we're like the bad guys in this. So, so what exactly happened that is causing this sort of shift? And what I wanna do here is I wanna show you a clip. And this is a clip from a debate that I was in with my Democrat opponent who's running against me this cycle, right? Because I'm on the ballot as well. And the question of critical race theory came up within this debate. And I want you to watch, we're gonna show you the first part of the clip, the second part of the clip. We're not editing anything, you're gonna see everything in context. But the reason why we're separating this out is I, I wanna make a distinction here. I wanna point something out that I think really speaks to why you're seeing such a huge shift among parents toward Republicans, all right? So let's go ahead and watch this first clip right now. This, this question is for both candidates. How do you define critical race theory and do you believe it belongs in the curriculum of our public schools? And we will start with Ms. Hyde on this one. 
First of all, critical race theory is not being taught in our public schools. We shouldn't censor history classes because it's uncomfortable. What I will not do is allow some members of this commonwealth to weaponize, twist, and falsify this issue to fit the needs of the deflectionary and dishonest politics. All students should learn from multiple viewpoints, so the mistakes of the past won't be repeated in future. Parents should trust their children to be smart and strong enough to learn about what the world really is. So you heard it. Critical race theory is not being taught within our public schools. So let me go ahead and see if I can find a resource that will confirm or deny whether or not that's so. How about the Virginia Department of Education website? Basic tenets of anti-racist education. Racism exists today in both traditional and modern forms. That seems reasonable. All members of society have been socialized to participate in racist systems. White people benefit from racists regardless of intentions. Adopted from author Robin DiAngelo's book, White Fragility. This is a part of the overall curriculum that all of our teachers are now required to go through as a part of their licensure. And there are pages and pages and pages of this. Here's another example. When we look at the different partners that they're using, Teaching Tolerance from the Southern Poverty Law Center. For those of you who are wondering what the Southern Poverty Law Center is, it used to be an actually really good organization, but lately they actually got in trouble for putting Dr. Ben Carson listed as an extremist. How about New America Foundation, whose largest donors are George Soros? What about, um, how about another resource that was provided for all of our teachers with respect to the construction of their lessons plans by Ibram X. Kendi? If you're wondering who Ibram X. Kendi is, he's one of the most prominent critical race theory advocates right now. And in fact, he's gone so far as to suggest that there should be a federal department of anti-racism. And that federal department would not be elected and would have complete oversight in order to nullify all federal and state laws that they don't believe are sufficiently anti-racist. Now, I believe in being an anti-racist, but my definition of anti-racism is opposing racism. Ibram X. Kendi's definition of anti-racism is that you also must be an anti-capitalist. And that comes from him, that does not come from me. If you want to look at some of the other books, you can get resources. So they provide links on where teachers can go to get additional resources for lessons plans. We have this one from the Smithsonian. In the United States, systems of oppression like systematic racism are woven into the very foundation of American culture, society, and laws. We have another site where it goes, it says, without critical race theory, there would be no raising race-conscious children. So this idea that it's not being taught at our schools. Let me tell you what they mean by that. What they mean is, is that there will be nothing on your child's syllabus that says CRT 101 in history class. Instead, what will happen is they'll do what they're doing in Virginia. They're making this training a requirement for your teachers in order to get their license or renew their license. And so what you will end up having is CRT not being taught like a theory competing with other theories. What you'll have is CRT being a lens through which your teacher teaches your child any subject. And quite frankly, I can't think of a more abusive way to teach children than to tell them the moment they walk into the classroom that they are part of an oppressor or oppressed class based off of their skin color. I think it's damaging to all children, but I think it's especially damaging to minority children to tell them that essentially the country that they are in right now hates them and has set up all of their institutions in order to in order to keep them down. And, and I find it fascinating that someone would say how much faith they have in the government at the same time that they believe that that government is inextricably related and foundational to white supremacy and racism. 
So yes, teach history, teach hard history, teach it from multiple perspectives and make it factual. But to tell me that when the Virginia Department of Education has this on their site, don't tell me it's not going into our school. Okay, so you see what happened there, right? She immediately leads in, not only with CRT is not in our schools, but if you listen carefully to what she said, she starts to go on about this idea that people are basically engaging in this sort of rhetoric in order to fuel political division, right? So this is not just her saying that you're wrong when I say that CRT is in schools. She's saying you're wrong and you're deliberately lying, right? That's the implication of what she's saying. You are deliberately lying about this and you're doing it for your own perverse political gain, right? That's the claim she's making in her opening statement. So what do I respond with? Here's all the evidence from the Department of Education in Virginia, right? And you, you can go to that website. It's right there on the bottom right-hand corner. You see this roadmap. It says Equity and Education, VA. You can go on that. And it is just page after page after page of CRT influence training and education for our teachers Right, and then recommended lesson plans for those teachers to take into our classrooms as part of the, the equity in education. Right? So right there, I, I, you know, we're trying to do a good job of presenting evidence from a site, from a source that she would appreciate is legitimate and valid within Virginia. Right? It's not like I went to the Daily Signal. It's not like I went to you know, Drudge Report or the, or the Daily Wire and, and got this information and said, look, no, I went straight to the Virginia Department of Education website. I didn't go to a conservative wing news source, even though I, I think Daily Wire is a reliable news source. They do their research. But I didn't go to one of those. I went to Virginia Department of Education, presented the evidence. So what is her response now? Right? Because initially, her initial claim was, this isn't happening, and the only reason you're saying it's happening is because you're trying to, to foster political division. Terry McAuliffe has come in and taken a step further. He's even said the only reason you're doing this is it's a dog whistle. He's accusing anyone that talks about CRT in our schools of being racist. So, what do we do? We present the evidence. Right? The evidence is, nope, this isn't our school. It is a part of your, your teacher training. It's part of all of that. Right? So, what is her response next? We're going to watch that clip right now. Ms. Hyde, you may have 30 seconds of rebuttal. Thank you. All children, no matter the color of their skin, their zip code, their gender, their sexual orientation, should be respected and feel safe in our schools. And I believe that teachers need to recognize that they need to teach to all the children in their classroom. And they all need to teach history, the truth, not just the things, not just the things that are comfortable and can be glossed over. Our children can handle that. All right. So you notice her response, right? She said that it's not there. She said that anybody says different is is essentially lying and trying to foster political division for their own benefit. I presented evidence that it is there. Did she come back and say, oh, I didn't realize that, or oh, that's interesting, or oh, I would like to see more about that source? Nope, it just went straight into this whole idea, this whole obfuscation. We're going to straight, well, every student should be treated with respect. Okay, yeah, I don't think anybody is running. I don't think anybody is advocating taking certain students and disrespecting them based off of the criteria that she said. I don't, I don't think anybody's planning to do that. But the real question is, is why don't you address the evidence that was presented. 
And the answer is, I think, because they can't. So here's what we're going to do next. We're going to talk about what is the left-wing narrative, because this has been interesting, and you have seen this across the board, from the top of the ticket all the way down to you know House of Delegates tickets, local tickets. I've seen this from local school board members. Typically speaking, if someone is running as a Democrat this year, there is a, there's a certain flow that their argument takes, and we're going to discuss that right now. right? So let's look at what, what is that narrative, what is that flow that you see taking place? Well, first of all, it's this idea that critical race theory is not in our schools, right? That, that's always the opening statement, which I find kind of interesting because it's clear that they think critical race theory has a great deal of value and explanatory power, right? It's clear that they like it as a concept. Now, maybe if I'm being generous, maybe their argument is, well, no, we like it as a concept, but we don't necessarily think it's appropriate to teach at the elementary school level, okay? Again, I would say that doesn't tend to stop them in other areas, but okay, let's take them at their word. They honestly don't believe it's in our schools. So what happens when all of a sudden news comes out that shows that Terry McAuliffe, while he was governor last time, sent out through his Department of Education here in Virginia and through the superintendents, pushed CRT within our schools as a way to achieve greater racial equity, right? That, that was the motivation behind what they were doing. So his, his previous administration was pushing it as early as, I think it was 2015. They were, they were pushing CRT. Then, again, you go on the Virginia Department of Education website, you present all the evidence, where when you have Robin D'Angelo and Ibram X. Kendi, two of the most prominent CRT advocates in the country right now, or as resources that you're providing for your teachers, when, when you are giving them seminars to watch, which, which are all about infusing CRT into understanding right, the country, our legal systems, our social systems, our economic systems, and you are making that sort of training and those sort of seminars a prerequisite for teacher licensure, right, or a prerequisite for the commissions to develop what equity in education looks like. You don't get to tell us CRT is not in the schools. Now, one of the things I want to point out here, because this is kind of like, this is a sophistry issue, right? This is, this is doing something that I think is intellectually dishonest. And that's when they, when they say CRT is not in your elementary school, that's garbage. Show me one school where it is. What they're, what they're generally referring to is, show me in the history class or in the English class or the science class or whatever it is, show me the, the portion in there where they are pushing critical race theory like they would at Harvard. Well, okay, we're not saying that they're, they basically take in a, you know, a, a legal class at the college, collegiate level and have infused it into elementary school. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, is you've taken CRT, you've, you've used it to influence lesson plans for elementary school, for middle school, for high school. You've told our teachers that in order to get their licensure, to renew it or get it initially, they have to go through all the CRT-infused training with the presumption being that if you want to achieve equity in education, then you have to teach your subjects through the lens that is informed, at least in part, by critical race theory. That's the claim that we are making, and I don't see how anybody can refute that claim. And unless it's out of pure ignorance. I don't see anybody can deny that that is what is actually taking place. Now, what they come back with is they say, well, no, it's not CRT in our school. You just don't want to teach hard history. Right, you just you just want to leave. Apparently, you don't want to teach about slavery. Okay, I got news for everyone. I'm 42. When I went through school, I learned about slavery. And let's just say when I learned about the Civil War, the South weren't portrayed as the good guys. Right? So this idea that there, there's been no education on hard history or Jim Crow or the civil rights movement, absolute garbage. Yes, there has. 
And I would say that in most places across the country, there's, there's always the possibility, and in some places they do it, but in most places across the country, there's a very clear message within all of our high school textbooks about Jim Crow, about the civil rights movement, about the evils of slavery, all of that. Now, can we do a better job? Sure. I don't think anybody has a problem with that. And if you're coming forward saying, hey, we would like to, there's other perspectives that we would like to share. Okay, great. Let's have that conversation. But now when you're putting that all in through the lens of critical race theory, where now we have to break down society based off of oppressor or oppressed classes, or as Ibram X. Kendi has suggested, we just need to you know, pretty much start over in so many different realms because he believes that the United States is fundamentally built upon white supremacy and racism. Okay, that's problematic. But that's not what we're getting, right? We're being told that we just don't want to teach hard history. If we don't want to do exactly what they want, or if we have some, uh, some concerns about the way that they're doing it, well, then they, they accuse you of everything, right? You're, you're a racist, you're a white supremacist, you just don't want to acknowledge you know, difficult truths or difficult realities. Now, again, I like to point out, like, okay, you mean difficult realities like the Democratic Party was the primary force behind white supremacy and racism in the United States for about 180 years. They were the primary political economic and social force behind white supremacy and racism for about 180 years of U.S. history. All right, so if you're looking for something to cancel, or, or if you want to spend a lot more class time talking about the history of the Democratic Party in this country, uh, okay, there's some hard history, but something tells me that's not the route they want to go with this. All right, and you, and you see this with even Max Kennedy. You see this with Robin DiAngelo, the very people that are now being used to influence curriculum and training for teachers and students. All right, but that, that's the narrative, right, is that it starts off with it's not there. You prove that it's there, then they come back and they accuse you of something completely different. They never acknowledge that they, they were either ignorant of CRT being in their school or they lied to you about it. They never acknowledge that. Now it ends up being this quasi-argument of suggesting that if you don't want what they want, well, then you must be a racist, right? So they, they switch to an ad hominem attack, right? And well, we could, that's a logical fallacy where you attack the person instead of the argument, right? So they're, they're completely negating and disregarding any information that you brought up and they're going straight into this attack. All right, but here's another aspect that they, they go into, and this is what got Terry McAuliffe into a lot of trouble. And this was this idea, and he said this in a debate, where he goes, I don't think parents should be like directing the curriculum for schools. And then he, it, I mean, it hurt him so badly that he actually had to make a separate ad saying, I was taken out of context. No, he really wasn't taken out of context. It's right there in the debate. You can see it. The problem is, is that he said the quiet parts out loud. Because we've already heard this from various teachers' unions across the country. We've already heard it from some other politicians running for office. And Terry McAuliffe was just being a little bit more honest than he's used to being. He's usually a very, very disciplined politician on the campaign trail. But this is a great representation of how Democrats see the role of education within society versus how most of us see the role of education within society. I, I would argue that most of us see education as a, a variety of things. Largely, it's been focused around public schools. That's one form of education, but it's clearly not the only form. But parents do really feel like, okay, they are trusting the public school with the education of their child. But if they have a problem with something that the public school is doing, they expect their voices to be heard. Because ultimately, they see it as, wait, no, wait, we're the ones paying the taxes to actually fund this and make it possible. But ultimately, it's still my child. I still have nobody in the government, nobody in the school system, loves my child or knows my child better than I do. So I can be, a, you know, if you're a parent, you might be, I'm, you might be appreciative of that school system. You're, you're probably appreciative of, of your teachers and the work that they put into it, but ultimately it is your child, not their child. And so when you have a problem, you expect to be treated with respect. You expect to be treated with a certain degree of deference that anybody else in the economy would treat you with 
if you were their customer. But what we see in the way that Terry McAuliffe talks about this is they don't see you as a customer. If anything, they see you as almost like an, an interfering influence on what they're trying to do with your child in public school and you're standing in the way. And so that's where we see that evolution of that, ar that argument come back in. But we, we see the difference, the fundamental difference in the mindset. Right? And there, there's a lot of different views on public education. I've made mine very clear. But I would say what you're seeing more, what you're seeing a lot right now, what explains, I think, close to 60% of parents of K through 12 age children switching over, it is not because there was some big epiphany on the marginal tax rate. It's because there was a realization that there are two fundamentally different ways to view education and educating the public specifically. And I think there was a lot of parents out there that thought everybody kind of had this similar view that I am sending my child to the public school, which, you know, I am the customer. And if I'm unhappy with what's going on, I can have some stay. I'm going to be treated with respect. And what you are now learning is that there are a lot of people in positions of political power that do not view it that way at all. They, again, they view you as a positive impediment to the thing that they're trying to accomplish through the public school system, which is to push a particular agenda, a particular viewpoint, a particular worldview. And if that contradicts what you're teaching them at home, well, then they see you as the problem. And the idea that you would have the audacity to question them as the experts is very problematic for them. And so a lot of parents feel insulted. And guess what? You should. You should feel insulted. All right, but let's go to this, this third point. And this is that whole concept that education is this collective responsibility. And, and this, has, this has a lot of, I mean, it sounds good. It's this idea that we're going we're gonna to fight to ensure that every child gets a quality education. And I think that most people, you know, again, there's always some outliers, but I think most people absolutely agree with that. And I think most people also agree that they don't mind uh, contributing in some way to ensuring that every child gets a quality education. But it really comes down to the question of what is that going to look like and is it going to be something where we have a marketplace of ideas and we, we allow creativity to flow and we allow education to be very, very responsive to individual child and student needs so that it's actually so that we've empowered parents and students to work with teachers to get the education curriculum, scheduling, uh, classes, coursework, all the things that work for that student? Or is this going to be the typical government program where the government essentially monopolizes control, politicians fight over it, inevitably it becomes more and more political and one side ultimately fights for centralized control of that mechanism. Because that's what you see going on right now with the current public education system. And a lot of parents are rebelling against it. You're not only seeing it with the way they vote, you're also seeing it with the way they vote with their feet. It's in Fairfax County, it's something like 10,000 students have gone outside, one county in Virginia, 10,000 students have gone outside the public school system since the pandemic. And that, that wasn't all because of CRT or because of some of the salacious and pornographic materials that are now popping up or the fact that we saw within Loudoun County where a young girl uh, was you know, raped and, and a judge has now come down and said there's sufficient evidence um, uh, to punish the student that, is, that, that raped this young girl in school. He went into the girl's bathroom because he, he put on a dress and as they were debating transgender policy at the school board meeting, the school board didn't even acknowledge that that took place and it blew up and now became a big issue, right? There were people leaving the school before any of that happened because of the public school's inability to effectively deal with education, provide quality education through the pandemic. But now what's happening is more and more parents are, are, are recognizing this, this sort of contempt 
that certain elements within education view parents and view parental choice and parental control. And they are voting with their feet right now as well as voting at the ballot box. All right. So those are kind of the those are kind of the overall left-wing arguments that we see. It's this idea that it started off with CRT is not in your school. Pornographic material is not in your school. Then it was okay, well, CRT is in your school, but if you disagree with it, you're a racist. Or, yeah, this, there, there's some material that may be hard-hitting, right, or dealing with certain sexual issues, but if you don't want that, well, then you're basically the principal from Footloose and you want to cancel dancing, right? That's it. Then it's this idea that if you don't agree with us, uh, you're a racist, you're the problem. And I think parents right now are starting to see this directed at them in a way that was never as evident before. It was never as evident. Like they, they have been so bold in it because I think to some degree that they, they believe, the left believes, that the country has moved far more than the left than it actually has. And so they started saying things that they may have always believed, but they knew to keep quiet, right? Because the bottom line is they've been pushing some of this stuff for, my gosh, since 2015. We're talking like five, six years. And they kind of recognized that if they were just quiet about it and they got it in there as part of the curriculum, and then the next thing you know, your, your child's been going through this for four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, 12 years, then they're going to get what they want without being obvious about what they wanted. But they came out, they got caught, they got exposed. And again, they've, they've been exposed on a number of levels, not just with CRT, not just with pornographic materials in schools, but with some of these policies that you also see with respect to bathrooms, with respect to other things where parents are furious, they feel insulted, and the response from people like Terry McAuliffe is not to come in and say, okay, let's sit down and hear your perspective. The response from Terry McAuliffe is, well, yeah, you feel insulted because you're a racist or you're ignorant. All right, so the question is, now that the polls are reflecting, that people are seeing this for what it is, what should we do? What is our response now going forward? Because there, there's been some conservative arguments that aren't necessarily bad, but let's just say they're incomplete. Right now, obviously, you know, one of the arguments has been that this stuff does not belong in our schools. And, and I, think that's, I think that's entirely accurate. I, I look at some of this pornographic material that you see within schools, and it is just, I mean, it's mind-boggling. It is stuff that is so graphic that it would be illegal if it was on TV or radio, but it can be within our, our kids' libraries at, at public schools. You know, we had a bill about this uh, several years back where we were saying that, look, there are certain materials that are getting into our kids' reading list, and if you're going to do that, at the very least, you need to give parental notification, and you need to get permission before you assign this reading material. And Democrats literally got up and, and accused us of wanting to be book burners. And now that some of this stuff is coming out and parents are seeing it for what it is, what they're realizing is that seeing, it's not just the Democrats that lied to them, CNN, MSNBC, all these other news outlets that they thought were giving them accurate representations of what was going on. They're now finding out lied to them and we're making us that we're standing up on the House floor saying, this is wrong. All we're asking for is proper parental notification before you do something like this. And the response was, is, oh, we're, we're the bad guys. We're the book burners. And I think a lot of parents were looking at this going, well, okay, yeah, maybe I can see a situation where a book might talk. I mean, my gosh, even the Bible, like one of the Democrats brought this up, even the Bible talks about like rape. So are you going to completely you know, cancel all that? And all we were saying was like, look, there's a big difference between talking about something conceptually and then like visually depicting something or writing about it in especially lurid detail, right? And all we're saying is, is give parents notification before you do that. But no, that wasn't good enough. We were the bad guys. And now parents are, are seeing exactly what's going on and they're furious and they should be. But the conservative argument cannot just be 
put us in charge and we'll ban all of this and we'll require this and we'll mandate this. Because all that does is creates a situation where we perpetuate the same problems that we have with respect to different factions coming together and being furious with one another about what their kids are being forced to learn. This is an incredible opportunity for conservatives to make what I think is a far more fair, long-lasting, and comprehensive position, comprehensive policy position that we can push forward that will allow for choices and options. Because here's one of the things I want to make very clear. My goal as a state legislator and as an advocate um, it is to push for more freedom, to more choice, more options, with the understanding that you may choose for your child things that I wouldn't choose for my child. And I may look at some of the ways that you want to teach, and I may think, well, that's not a very good way to teach it. Or you may, you may like a particular curriculum where I'm like, I don't, I don't like that curriculum at all. The question is, is that are we going to have some degree of mutual respect for one another so that as long as you are not you know, pushing some sort of thing on your child where you're, you're compelling them to use violence against other people or, or things like that, right? As long as you're not engaging in child abuse, but if you want to teach your child from a different curriculum than I want to teach my child from, I'm not going to use the violence and coercive power of government to compel you to do what I want. I'm going to leave you to be free to do what you want. And all we request in return is that we be free to do what we want. And, and that's not to say that there can't be some, some you know, common basics that we all expect. But ultimately, the question here is, who's going to run education? Is it going to be run by customers and service providers, which are teachers, students, and parents working together? Or is it going to be run by politicians compelling everyone to do what they want based off of their own political ideology? Because that's what you have right now. And the only way that we can break this cycle is not by saying, let's put, let's put different people in charge of a bad approach. Or we can change the approach. And then you know what we can do? We can actually let results speak for themselves. Because I got to tell you right now, I think an education which is comprehensive and robust and is able to adapt to the child and is able to adapt to new technology and techniques and methods, I, I think an education that does that is going to be far more valuable to the student who this is all supposed to be about in the first place than a government monopolized system where politicians are constantly fighting with parents, teachers, and everyone else to decide what's going to go into your kid's classroom. And more and more what we see is the politics of indoctrination within your school system. And the moment you stand up as a parent and you try to push back against it, what do they do? They treat you like you're the problem. It is your child. You are the customer. Not the politician. Not the expert. Not, not the superintendent. Not the school administrators. You are. This is supposed to be about your child. And what we've all learned is that it's about pushing indoctrination and ideology. And I don't want to just, again, I don't want to keep that same sort of system in place and just change out the leadership of it. I want to actually focus on something that gives genuine opportunities and allows for people with different approaches. And I'm not just talking about the ideological component. I'm talking more about this idea that I have three children. Some curriculums work better for one of my children than work for another children. Why can't I have the freedom to find what works best for each individual child 
and be able to do that? Why can't I work with a teacher or a tutor or a school, whatever it is, in order to accomplish that? Why can't I do that? Because the government tells me, send your kid to this school based off of your address. The curriculum is what it is. If you don't like it, show up to your school board. But oh, by the way, now the Department of Justice might be taking your name down if you're mad about something your school is doing to your child. So what I would like to see going forward, what I'm hoping we're going to see going forward from an argumentation standpoint, from a policy standpoint, from an electoral standpoint, is I'm hoping that we're going to elect people that stop treating parents as if they're the bad guy, that stop treating certain unions, teachers' unions, and certain school administrators as if they're the customer, when in reality, it's supposed to be the child. That's supposed to be the whole reason why we do this. And ultimately says to parents, look, we're going to stop this cycle of different political parties and different politicians trying to use the school system as their little laboratories for social engineering. And instead, what we're going to do is empower you as the parent, as the student, and as teachers. We're going to provide you as the customers to be able to go and talk to the service providers to be able to get the education that your child truly requires. And that's what we're going to fight for. We're not going to fight over control of that system. We're going to fight to provide options so we put the control back in the hands of the people that it was built for in the first place. And that's the argument that we should make to our friends when they're going to the polls to vote. And that's the argument that we should make should we actually get back power within Virginia and have the ability to push policies that will make the lives of children better, of parents better, and of teachers better. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you for staying with us. Please make sure to like, subscribe, follow, share. You can go on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're all over the place. Go on there. Leave us a five-star review. Give us your feedback. Give us your comments. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like to see for future episodes. Make sure you get out there and vote November 2nd if you haven't already voted early here in Virginia. Once again, thank you very much for watching Making the Argument. We'll see you next time. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.